movies, comedy, jazz, gems, rock and roll baby, interviews, information, and event listings. Join, join the revolution. Hello, and welcome to another edition of New York Update. I am Jake Jacobs. New York City school teacher. I also write for The Progressive and City Limits. This is a weekly podcast of education news, news news, and uh, election news, and New York news, New York State. And uh, we are broadcasting here from Nyack in Rockland County. We're also at NewYorkUpdate.org. And if you go to RocklandWorldRadio.com, you can see us live. We are expecting any moment. Uh-oh, there he is now. So Let's just call, say hi. Hi, this is John Mannion. Hi, John. We are on the line with John Mannion, who is a high school biology teacher from the Syracuse area, and he is running for Senate District 50. And I've been hearing this race uh, mentioned a lot now that the primaries are over and everybody is shifting their attention to the general election. There was a lot of victories uh, and celebrations down mostly in the New York City area where the former IDC candidates were defeated. And now they're talking about a different slate that they want to concentrate on. And I saw that in an article in the Gotham Gazette, your your race was at the top of their list. Well, I, I haven't seen that, but I'm happy to hear that. You know, this is this seat, the 50th Senate District, is basically uh, several towns that surround the city of Syracuse in Onondaga County and then four towns in Cayuga County, part of the city of Auburn, and a small part of the city of Syracuse, which most people are familiar with. So... That is the major metropolitan area. If you took a look at the 50th Senate District, it, in my opinion, summarizes everything that's wrong about politics because it is a gerrymandered district, and it's all about election versus service to the constituents. So we're excited that people are excited about the race. And I also understand that uh, should you win, you would be the first educator in the New York State Senate. Is that right? Well, maybe in the Senate, I know Christine Pellegrino's in the Assembly. I do not know the entire history of the New York State Senate, but I don't think that there's any what I would refer to as veterans, pub, veteran uh, public school teachers. Right. There might be people that have been in a classroom, but I believe it's an important time to bring someone with the perspective that I have in that has been in a classroom for 25 years. So I have... Students that are 16, but I got students that are 43. So I've taught a generation of people, and I feel like I have a close connection to many of them still, and I have a good feel how they perceive their government and the things that are important to them. Right. So maybe we can get back to your district later, but let's jump into that because, you know, we had uh, Julie Goldberg, a public school teacher running for Senate. She narrowly lost to David Carlucci. And we had some interesting discussions about what exactly what a teacher would bring to the state Senate. And it's the kind of thing that Christine Pellegrino is doing in the assembly. Also, Ellen Jaffe is a former teacher in the assembly. And I think there's a few others. But let's talk a little bit about the education battle that are going on in New York State and what the role of the Senate would be if we seated a Democratic majority and then we started to see maybe some actual public hearings and maybe some clean standalone bills that had to do with education. So I might be a little blunt, but I'm just going to ask you directly, what is your position on charter schools? Well, I've been a public school teacher for 25 years, so 
I know that the purpose of charter schools, the intent of them was a good one. They were designed to be laboratories where we could sort of experiment in education and find innovative ways to teach kids or teach kids that maybe don't learn traditionally. And that was a great idea. But unfortunately, someone saw that as an opportunity, an economic opportunity, many people did, and, and that, that program has been hijacked by big money. So unfortunately, that is what has happened to the charter industry. And, you know, my children are a product of public schools. I teach in a different public school. I value public education and education in general. So it's certainly something that is important to my wife and I. And we've seen the success of those public schools. So charter schools, unfortunately, don't have to adhere to the same rules as public schools do. And what we've seen is that they have a lower percentage of students that are part of the special ed population and a lower percentage of students that don't have English as their first language. And as a result, public schools, it's their duty to educate all. So they're taking funds away from those public schools and public schools still have to do their job. They have to educate the students of this state. So Yeah, so it sounds like you have a pretty strong position. Some people might not know, but you were, I don't know if you still are, but you were a member of the New York BATS. That's the New York chapter of the Badass Teachers Association, which is a group of teachers. It's actually a national group of teachers that rose up around 2013 in opposition to privatization of public education. And I, I saw that you were a member of the New York BATS, and I said, wow, this guy's running for office. Why aren't we supporting him? <laughs> and so uh, the BATS will be mobilizing at some point uh, between now and Election Day, doing what they can. But it's a strong position, and you're absolutely right. Charters are not dealing with their fair share of high-need students which is causing higher concentrations in the public schools. It was maybe a good idea at the beginning when the charters were specifically designed to take on these challenges, but they have been hijacked, absolutely, and instead they cherry-pick only the best test takers, and we've seen the growth of a lot of these corporate networks, and it's just terrible. So, And let's jump to the next topic, the high-stakes standardized testing that has been so controversial in New York. Why don't you tell us your position? Sure. Well, I have children in public schools and they do pretty well. As I said, my wife and I value education. We feel like we gave them a very strong base to work off of prior to them entering public school. And we value, we, uh, we enjoy our public school uh, district that our kids attend and then also that we teach in. Uh, my wife's an elementary school teacher, oh, two and I represent I represent teachers. She teaches IS services mm-hmm. for mostly reading for kindergarten through second grade, and she loves that. It's her passion. Mm-hmm. So she at the elementary level, and I represent teachers, so I get to talk to them all the time, and we have seen what has happened with these tests, and, and there's a variety of negatives that come with it. They are, I can go through my litany here but you know they're time consuming they pull time away and focus away from the really good stuff the enriched stuff that Mm -hmm. happens at those ages and and we're focusing instead on ela and math scores so that's one negative another negative is the tests themselves that they're not developmentally appropriate and not only has the difficulty of the questions changed or the clarity of the questions changed over that time that my kids were in school, 
but also they've changed where the cut scores are. So uh, one of my children who always received a four, which is four out of four for proficient in those in both math and ELA, when the test changed and the cut scores changed right around the time that I believe BATS, you know, the Badass Teachers Association felt it was necessary to get things going and informing people about the harm that these tests do, I saw my own children go from a four of proficiency to not proficient and scoring a two. And these are kids that now as they're in high school are in the top 10% of their class. They are clearly proficient in advanced courses in ELA and math. So when we should be focusing on mental health and we should be focusing on the arts and social studies and science, math and ELA are important, of course. But we don't get any value, as you probably know, from these tests. So not only are they developmentally inappropriate, they're not useful. And uh, we don't get any meaningful data from them to drive instruction, which is what teachers use assessments for, and we will continue to assess. But these tests are flawed, and the evaluation system tied to it is flawed, and we're doing a disservice to the children of the day that are that are missing out. This is their one opportunity to get a high-quality public education, and we've made a change, in my opinion, for all the wrong reasons. Absolutely. And if you would be elected into the Senate, uh, perhaps one of the first issues that might come up would be the evaluations bill that was left unresolved uh, in the last right. session, and that's the APPR uh, controversy. So you're definitely against the standardized testing. You mentioned a lot of the reasons, you know, it, it really narrows the curriculum every minute, every hour of every day. It takes away a lot of valuable time. The kids don't like it. The teachers get nothing from it. It's an expensive boondoggle that has been in a, a constant embarrassment. And at the end of the day, they're just changing the cut scores, yep. you know, based on political quotas and all kinds of backdoor arrangements. You know, it's, it's completely not transparent. They lost in court, um, you know, you could go on and on. The evaluation issue, though, might come before you, and it seems as though even in the previous formation of the state Senate, with Republicans uh, in the majority, they had about 85%, maybe as much as 90% approval for a bill that would have either abolished the APPR, the evaluations law, or made it optional district by district. And so, you know, I guess it would be the kind of thing where it would pass as a no-brainer if only the Democrats had the majority. Right. Right. Well, you know, and I agree with you, but also, like you had mentioned, there were 55 co-sponsors of that bill. So if they're willing to put their name on the bill, they were willing to vote for it, which means overwhelmingly support was there across the state from these elected officials to get that bill through. And I feel very passionately about reversing the harm that was done by the APPR legislation. But probably more importantly, it's that we're harming these kids for all the reasons that you and I stated before. So the support was there. I mean, this leads us to another discussion, which is leadership in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Very few people who are very powerful too powerful, prevented the will of the people from happening. Generally, parents like their schools and they like their teachers and they trust their schools and they trust their teachers and they trusted that what was happening in the classroom was not in the best interest of their kids. They elected people to represent them. Overwhelmingly, I think parents, school board members, 
administrators and teachers are informed now and realize that we need a change to the evaluation system and need a change to the testing. And that could have happened and should have happened, and it didn't happen, not because we didn't have overwhelming support, but because a few leaders, for whatever reason, maybe it had to do with who they received donations from. Exactly. I, I can't speak to that, but yes. it did, you know, specifically. But I do know logic did not prevail and the will of the people did not prevail and that bill did not make it to the Senate floor in the manner that it made it through the assembly. So now we have a year left on the moratorium and people who have, who care passionately about the education of children are once again potentially going to have to face like you said, the boondoggle that is this evaluation system that has no basis in statistics or science. So exactly. I would be supportive of getting that bill through, absolutely. Okay. I also am going to assume that you would be in favor of fully funding the foundation aid that is owed to the districts uh, across the state based on a, a poverty formula. Yeah. So uh, with that, I mean, I didn't think I was being too presumptuous, but with that... Talk about the strategy, because, you know, we, we have a good possibility of Democratic leadership. But even if not, even if there's, uh, again, a very narrow Republican majority, maybe, uh, you know, the elections fall short or maybe there's just another tide of turncoats who want to enrich themselves and their own districts at the expense of everybody else. So in that case, what do you think the strategy would be? for the Democratic conference to try and get that foundation need funding through because the districts around the state are really strapped. And here in Rockland, we have Ossining, we have East Ramapo, and I'm sure yep. I'm sure you have the same thing going on up in your district. I am in a suburban district. I'm, a, I'm in a district that administration and the board pride themselves on prudent spending. And, you know, we're not one of those sort of districts that has been harmed. As you said, this has been litigated. The ruling has been made. and I'm going to revert back to the fact that I've never served in public office. And I wish I knew exactly how to hold people's feet to the fire after, you know, we have this court hearing. The courts have already ruled. We know that what we're supposed to do, and we continue to not do it. Yeah, 2006. Um, so, you know, we have some intelligent people powerful people in the Senate and the Assembly. And I think you and I have an incredible level of frustration because the courts are there to keep things in check. And they did keep things in check, but we're still breaking the law. So that is a priority for me, for sure. I've learned a lot in these last four months, and I'm working on that. I'm learning a lot. I got to get in there, and then we'll try to figure that out. Right. Here in this, you know, this is one of the remaining IDC districts. Uh, we have David Carlucci, who beat Julie Goldberg 50, what, by six points, 45 to 51. Very narrow in the Democratic primary. Now he's pivoting to the general election, and there's a lot of pressure on him. There's been articles written that he was weakened by a really tough primary and that he's facing a Republican who might all of a sudden see an influx of some of this education reform money, you know, and specifically trying to block the funding. So what they've been Hmm. doing here in this district is they've been asking him to take a pledge that he would not vote for any budget that did not include full funding of financial aid over three years, you know, or some reasonable time amount, just like the assembly bills that passed in the last two cycles at least. I know it might be out on a limb a little bit because because you're narrowing your later negotiation ability, 
But it also, right. if you do that before being elected, during the campaign, and then are elected, you can turn around and say, you know, you were elected running on that issue and possibly tell your conference leaders, whoever that, that might be, that uh, right. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry, you're not going to get my vote. This is my non-negotiable. So I wasn't trying to push that no. on you, wink, wink, hint, hint, but maybe uh, it might be good to consider as a tactic. Let me ask you, let me ask you, so so we did the charters, we did the testing. Um, I don't know if we have time, but maybe would you like to weigh in on the, the common core controversy, the actual standards, and whether or not uh, as a biology teacher it's affected you in the classroom? It hasn't affected me too much, but it has affected people at some other levels. Uh, we do have, there's a new name for it, I'm, I'm going to call them the next-gen standards, but right. the New York State Science Standards as a biology teacher, they're coming out. I will say this, in my 25 years of teaching, if I can speak to those standards, that they're trying to do what we've always, I believe, tried to emphasize in science, which is more, instead of memorization, more the practicing of the science, the scientific method in an investigative way, and that's a good thing. I will also say this. They did not rush those science standards out. It has taken a while, and they have stopped along the way and revisited them and asked for input. And I, I believe they did that in a pretty effective manner. And we are then going to slowly, gradually imp implement it, you know, coming up the grades. And I think what you and I and public school teachers across the state saw was that was very different when it came to those ELA and math standards, those common core standards. And as a result, like we lost a few years of education for these kids. A generation. Uh, because the curriculum came, the tests came, the evaluation system changes came, and it was chaos. And it was it yeah. negatively impacted our kids. So was... I'm not saying that there can't be some good from new standards, even common core standards, but it has to be done correctly. It wasn't done correctly, and that's why we are where we are, I believe. So, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to those. I do think what I saw in my own kids' classrooms and my, you know, the classrooms within the district where I teach, I saw a lot of effective teaching. And then we had all those changes, and I saw teachers that were stressed and teachers that were in chaos, and that was not good for kids. So we got to make sure that moving forward we don't make those kind of mistakes ever again. Right. When they rushed Common Core through, the implementation was botched. The standards were also a little bit too, I guess, lowest common denominator-ish. They were right. developed for a national consortium of I don't know how many states, but right. you know, many, many states. You know, we just got new arts standards a couple of months ago and I for New York State only and they were developed with some really good caring officials from New York City and around the state and I have to say you know they're pretty good and I'm yep. really proud you know that I can transition to them pretty easily we're we're in a rollout year and and next year we'll be implementing them so it can be done there's nothing wrong with standards per se and the same thing goes with testing you know as, as teachers we give tests all the time it's not about you know not testing the kids not assessing the kids right. it's about you know making the tests appropriate and making the tests you know correctly leveled so that you're not discouraging kids, you're not labeling kids, you're not confounding kids or stressing kids out. That's just the opposite. I know time is precious here. Can you tell us a little bit? I see here that you are a union rep and that you are yeah. endorsed by NYSET. Maybe can, can you tell us a little bit about your union activism? 
Sure. Well, right about the time that you had mentioned when the changes had occurred, at that point was very happy being a science teacher and very happy being a dad of three growing kids. Mm-hmm. But when the changes happened, I was compelled to be a stronger advocate against those things and other, you know, against those changes and other things that were happening, you know, locally here because. I'm a teacher. I value teachers. I know the sort of the skill set and the passion that it requires. And then to uh, put people through this and put kids through it had to be stopped. So I eventually quickly kind of moved up the ranks. I became union president, and then I tried to do some good things for kids. We negotiated a very good, I believe, APPR agreement with the district. Mm-hmm. I think it was good that the district had We'd kind of gone through a few bumps together when in learning that, you know, both the district and my association realized, like, we got to make sure that this causes the least impact on teachers and the least impact on the classroom. And I give my district a lot of credit in that they walk the talk, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, you know, and for, for people that might not know, you're talking about the, the negotiations that go on when every school district, there's over 700 in New York State, has to submit their plan to the state for approval, and it is kind of negotiated district by district, case by case. And so it's not really true that you've never run for office before, actually, right? Because you you are a president of a local. If you're just joining us, we're talking with John Mannion, who is running for state senate in the 50th district, the Syracuse area here in New York State. And he would be, we are told, the only teacher currently in the New York State Senate. There's a few in the assembly, and it's something that we really need more of to go in there and explain to some of these senators and some of these committee members, because every time I've sat with my senator or other senators or other legislators, it's kind of embarrassing how little they know about the policies that are in place now, let alone, yeah. you know, let alone the, the questions uh, that we should be asking about upcoming policies and, and so forth. So it's good to see that you're a union rep, you're a local uh, president. For a couple of years, you mentioned, I guess this is about five years now or so? Yeah, I'm just starting my sixth year. That's correct. Right. And you were endorsed by NYSET. So let's talk a little bit about your opponent, if we can. Sure. So can you give us give us the vital statistics? And then maybe if, if you know, what are the, some of their education positions? Right. I, I don't tend to that talk too much about my opponent. I don't want to speak too negatively about my opponent because I, aside of all the things that I've stated that I feel very strongly about, you know, unfortunately... We exist in a climate where politics have very negative connotation to them, and and that's rightly deserved that they should. Hmm. But I will say this, that I'm not sure where my opponent stands on education policy. I believe, as I've been told, that he was asked that in an interview, and I don't know exactly his level of familiarity with the bill that went through or almost went through, but he has been the county comptroller in Onondaga County for over 10 years, and he has expressed an interest in other positions or even run for other positions, including state comptroller. So he's been in the political process for a while. Some people may say that's a good thing, and that's fine. But I believe where we live at a time where people are want a fresh look at the political process. And so I think that's the dichotomy between my opponent and myself. 
Okay. And so, do you know or not know whether or not uh, he takes that uh, corporate PAC funding that that so many Republicans and Democrats are coming under scrutiny for? Yeah. You know, I don't, I really do not know. I think there's people (laughs) that are in the political arena that care very much about that and Mm -hmm. have researched it. I honestly do not know. Okay. Maybe we could find out at another time. But here in our district, in Rockland County, we are keeping a very close eye on that because if the Republican opponent for the Democrat, David Carlucci here, all of a sudden gets like a $5 million infusion, you know, it could, you know, really change the game uh, quickly. Sure. It's something to look out for, you know, in in all of these contested districts. And we're going to wrap up here with John Mannion. But you are definitely in these charts now, in these like slates of these highly flippable or winnable districts. And they're asking activists and they're they're asking uh, volunteers who were working in the city on these IDC races to pivot their attention and start making donations to these these other slates. I believe No IDC is one of them that is now going to be bundling money and, you know, it's small donor money and then, right. uh, you know, distributing it out to your campaign and, and the others that are on this chart. I think there's about 12 of them because they want to they want to hopefully try and get to a democratic majority of 40 if possible. So so it's pretty exciting, you know, I guess we're going to be in for a real uh, nail biter in November. But um as we wind down here, was there anything else that you wanted to add for the listeners here? This Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, I appreciate I'm getting a lot of teacher support in my area. Teachers are out there phone banking for me, knocking on doors for me. They're willing to donate, and that's been great. I don't think I would have done it without that support. If people want to donate or people want to just show their support online with a like or share, that would be great. My uh, website is mannionforstatesenate.com. That's M-A-N-N-I-O-N-F-O-R, statesenate.com. My email is mannionforstatesenate at gmail.com. And then Facebook page is also Manion for State Senate. There is a three and a half minute video on there that we had done. And I would really encourage people to take a look at it. I hope it gets my message across. The person that did the filming of it is a local guy who I was very lucky to bump into. And he just did a fantastic job. If people get an opportunity to go and view that three and a half minute video, it might seem like long in a world of short attention spans. But um, in my opinion, it's a good one. And I appreciate you having me on tonight and giving me the opportunity to talk to people. It's clear you as an educator are a strong advocate for kids, as am I, and it's so important to me that I'm upsetting my own apple cart and running for office, and it's so important to you that you take your spare time and dedicate it to uh, getting the word out there. And on behalf of teachers in my area, I appreciate you doing that. All right. Yes. Well, thank you. And just like we saw with the whole protests of the unfair testing and evaluations, where the teachers kind of informed the parents and then the parents informed their neighbors and things really took hold, uh, we hope that for this upcoming election, 
that listeners can do the same thing. Be the phone tree where you, uh, you know, mention these races. You know, sometimes just, you know, giving $5, you know, to a, a candidate, that could really add up on their end, you know, coming from a yeah. lot of different sources. And it could make the difference, push them over the top. To me, there's no question that we need more teachers in Albany. And now having spoken to you and having, uh, you know, heard you out on the various education issues that are important to me, and important to teachers and the New York Bats and the union. There's no doubt that I'm in your corner. I am officially endorsing John Mannion for State Senate. <laughs> and uh, we really appreciate what you're doing. We know that it must be harder now that school's back in session, but we really hope that, you know, down the home stretch, that you just get stronger and stronger and, you know, more attention, more endorsements, more media. And we want to thank you too for coming on tonight. Well, thanks, Jake. Your kind words mean a lot. And as you said, it is a busy time. I taught today. I'll be teaching tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, yep. when the bell rings, I'm out there in the community learning and getting my name out there. And I appreciate you helping with that. So have a good night. And thanks again. All right, John. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. So that was our uh, neighbor to the north up in District 50 up in Syracuse. It sounded to me like it was a pretty pretty good district. He said they were suburban and I guess there was some like uh, metropolitan areas there but it didn't sound like they had kind of those dense urban enclaves that they might have in Rochester and Buffalo and New York City and, and other places you know, White Plains. Yeah so we want to thank John for uh, taking time. He, he, had an, he had two different events today and so uh, it was nice of him to, to call in and spend some time with us. We're going to pivot to some other news items. And we're going to start out with a story. I was taking a long drive with my wife the other day. And I, you know, I said, wow, did you hear about this sentencing of the governor's longtime right-hand man, Joe Percoco? We all know that he was convicted on corruption charges and bribery relating to the uh, CPV fract compression station up upstate and that a couple of years ago when they were getting this all together he put his wife on the payroll of the power company she was getting a low show job in which she was supposed to go around and she was getting some incredible sum of money to go around and kind of like teach about fracked gas to school kids even though she wasn't a teacher she wasn't in the energy industry she wasn't a elected official lobbyist i mean it was just like she was joe prococo's wife and so that raised a couple of red flags there was an investigation i believe pre barara started it and it got you know but it ended up going to trial he pled not guilty he was found guilty and his sentencing was just last week so I'm driving down the road with my wife and I said did you hear about Percoco they threw the book at him even the prosecutors were only recommending five years of jail time for what he did and the judge gave six years jail time which was even more than what the prosecutors were, were uh, requested and the judge whose name it was Valerie Caproni Judge Valerie Caproni uh, it turns out that she once worked for Robert Mueller years ago and that uh, she was also the judge that sentenced Sheldon Silver, the uh, who, who's also uh, headed for jail now or in jail. So I say to my wife, Andrew Cuomo, our governor, 
you know, had this going on. There was the Percoco trial. There was also the Buffalo Billion trial, which led to the guilty plea of a guy named Alan Caballeros, right? Both Joe Percoco and Alan Caballeros were working with another lobbyist slash, you know, government official, you know, how can you be both at the same time, by the name of Todd Howe. And this goes back years and years. Todd Howe, Joe Percoco, Alan Caballeros were working in the Cuomo administration at the highest levels for years and years, and all are headed for jail now in these giant corruption scandals. And Todd Howe kind of like, you know, blew the whistle, and he became the star witness in the Percoco trial. Percoco tried to say, you know, that he was innocent and that Todd Howe was lying and making everything up, was found guilty. And the judge said, you know, that when Percoco submitted a letter saying, you know, now that he was being sentenced, that he's regretful, that he's remorseful, that not a day goes by where he doesn't think about what he's done, that he's hurt others and he's hurt his family. The judge just said, well, then why the hell did you plead not guilty? Right. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, she brought down the gavel and she said that she hopes that they are listening in Albany. They tried him. They convicted him. They sentenced him. They gave him the max. Now, this was the right hand man of the governor. So I turned to my wife and I say, does it bother you that Governor Cuomo? I mean, he either knew about all this stuff going on, you know, right under his nose or it was happening, you know, without any oversight. It was happening, you know, without his knowledge. It was, you know, where was he? You know, how come he wasn't minding the store, right? This is all going on under his watch. And these are, these are billion-dollar deals, right? These are developers, and these are power plants that are getting contracts, and they're getting fast-tracked, and, you know, giving no-show jobs and low-show jobs and paybacks, what they, used to, what they would call ZD, right, that came up in the court trial. So I say to my wife, are you going to vote for Cuomo? I mean, you know, we're both Democrats. And so she says, absolutely. She says, I would rather vote for a criminal than vote for the Republican. And that's any day. And I was like, wow, I guess she's right. You know, I guess that's where we are. We don't have another option. I mean, there's going to be Howie Hawkins running on the Green Party line. But, you know, I mean, I think he did get 5% in the last cycle, which is more than I actually thought. And it is enough to play spoiler. But um, we are, you know, between a rock and a hard place. We either have to vote for Cuomo or we have to risk the Republican winning. And, you know, folks, don't do that. (laughs) You know, if the Republican wins, they would end the fracking ban. They would make fracking legal. They would start fracking in Orange County immediately. I mean, it would it would hurt people on so many levels to have a Trump Republican be the governor in New York state. You know, it's it's unthinkable. Um, And so am I endorsing Cuomo? No, (laughs) but my wife is. Let's just put it that way. For Andrew Cuomo, we have to make sure that he beats the Republican. You know, as it is, we might have uh, the Green Party and Howie Hawkins playing spoiler if if it ends up being more close than we think. Remember, in 2014, Governor Cuomo got shocked by the the end result when he only beat Rob Astorino by a score of, I think it was 52 to 45 percent, or maybe 51 to 45 percent. It was so much closer than anybody thought, than any polling was showing, and it scared the daylights out of people. And we're staring down the barrel of that once again. If you guys remember... Governor Pataki, who was the governor for 12 years 
and uh, you know the, all the bad things that came out of that, you know, such as charter schools. We don't want to repeat that. And so, as my wife said, I'd rather vote for a criminal than vote for. This is a late-breaking story that I just heard on the way over here today. There was actually Senate hearings today, where they were discussing education budget, and you know this is on the federal level, and they were actually considering. This is being considered right now, allowing teachers to use federal funding to buy guns and bring them into the classroom. Yes, you heard right. There are people pushing right now, particularly the NRA, <laughs> but uh, you know, all kinds of uh, gun enthusiasts and gun lobbyists, gun rights supporters, they want teachers to be armed in the classroom so that if another one of these school shootings happens, they can just, you know, whip out their gun and just end the threat instantly and, you know, save lives. That's that's the thinking. Well, I totally disagree. As we know, if you, you know, statistics don't lie, if you bring a gun into your household, you are increasing the risk of somebody that you love getting shot with that gun much, much more than the likelihood of successfully intervening in some kind of home invasion where you would literally need your gun strapped to your side and loaded in order to do anything about it. Because if somebody busts down your door and your gun is upstairs in a safe, it's not going to matter whether you have a gun or not. And the same thing goes for the classroom. Can a bunch of students surround a teacher and take their gun off them? I could see it happening. Can a teacher go off the rails and just pull out a gun and start pointing it at students? I could see that happen. Could a gun be stolen out of a closet or out of a teacher's you know, glove compartment, you know, all that kind of stuff happens all the time. We hear about these little kids that get their hands on a gun that, you know, was carelessly left around. It's a terrible idea. Now, I am only for cops having guns and army guys having guns and SWAT guys and law enforcement, secret service and security people, and I'm for business owners having guns. I'm for people that have a need and have a reason, but I'm not for arming civilians in a school. I'm just not for it. I'm sorry. And so this was actually being argued today. Betsy DeVos is obviously in favor of it. Lamar Alexander, who is the chairman of the Senate Education Committee called the Health Committee, H-E-L-P. And we heard from various senators uh, today, including uh, Senator Patty Murray, who is the ranking Democrat on the committee, and Elizabeth Warren, who is also in the committee. Now, I happen to know that Bernie Sanders is in the committee, but they, he was either not there today or they didn't quote him on the news. Elizabeth Warren said that this idea is dangerous and dumb, and I agree with her. Um, and so we'll see how this plays out. But there is something in the federal education law. It's uh, called Title IV funding. And Title IV funding is very generous in the way that it allows school districts and schools to use that funding. In other words, they can use it for almost anything they want. They could use it for after-school clubs. They could use it for arts. They could use it for sports. They can use it for enrichment. They could use it for making class sizes smaller, You know, more chairs and desks and tables, you name it. But right now there's talk about introducing a bill that would prohibit school districts from using federal funding to arm teachers and to buy, help them buy guns and bullets, which would enrich the ammunition manufacturers and the weapons manufacturers. You know, there's a lot of schools out there, and that could really add up. If they put one gun in every school, it would just be, you know, like billions of dollars for the gun. So what else is going on? Well, we are going to update you on the IDC and David Carlucci. I happen to know that David Carlucci met with some 
activists, some progressive activists, I believe it was last Thursday, and they said there was a productive meeting. David Carlucci, as you know, beat Julie Goldberg for state senate in a pretty narrow victory. He survived, you know, a serious, credible challenge from a school teacher who was running for the first time. Um, and so that's got to wake him up and slap him into reality. And so now David Carlucci, you know, who won with the help of some of the Orthodox areas, but not all. They say that uh, some of the Orthodox precincts, it looks like from the voting data, that they just didn't vote at all. They didn't turn out at all. And so that suggests that the block vote, what they call, you know, the ultra-Orthodox voters, which is thousands of voters who are all somehow hypnotized and captivated under the spell of, like, one rabbi or one political leader, it seems like they're not going to support Carlucci. They might support the Republican Scott Vanderhoff, because if Carlucci loses, this state Senate seat goes Republican after it's been in Democratic hands for so long that it means that after all of this time and trouble, you know, and this big progressive challenge that we actually end up going two steps backwards. And that would be that would be bad. So right now, David Carlucci is trying to mend fences with the 10,000 plus, I hear it was actually more like 11,000 voters who cast their ballots for the progressive, Julie Goldberg. David Carlucci is now trying to unify the Democratic Party, and he's trying to unify the Democrats. The problem is, and I've spoken to many of them, they're on a they're on a different spectrum, you know, depending on, you know, some are saying, I don't trust him, and I never will. David Carlucci, you know, uh, betrayed us, he lied to us, you know, he backstabbed us, whatever you want to say. There are some people that are saying, you know, he did what he did, but now we have to vote for the Democrat, we can't have a Republican. Like my wife says, I'd rather vote for a criminal than a Republican. Not that David Carlucci is accused of any crime, but there is a sniff of corruption in the PAC money that Jeff Klein was raising. Number one, it was ruled illegal. And number two, it comes from some very seedy Wall Street hedge fund managers. I'll just name one named Dan Loeb, who is a Puerto Rico debt vulture. I can't say it enough. He's an awful human being. He does like hostile takeovers, holds companies for ransom, makes them pay uh, millions of dollars for him to like, you know, give up his controlling shares. You know, all that hostile Wall Street stuff, you know, really dirty pool. Well, he loves the Republican majority in the state Senate, and he loves the IDC, and he loves Jeff Klein, and he loves giving money to his PAC. It's called New York for a Balanced Albany, I believe, New Yorkers for a Balanced Albany, or maybe he's the other one, uh, Students First, or New Yorkers for, for Putting Students First. There's a couple of them. There's also the Real Estate Board, and David Carlucci, unfortunately, got mixed up with some of this money. It's charter school money, you know, it's fake philanthropy money, it's actually Puerto Rico debt vulture money, some of it. Hopefully, David Carlucci will see the error of his ways and turn around and realize that you can run a successful small donor campaign. Julie Goldberg raised $40,000 only, and you know, but had hundreds of volunteers, and she got 45% of the vote in, a, in the Democratic primary. I mean, you, know, you can do a lot with a little nowadays. Uh, we've seen it in race after race, as all of David Carlucci's colleagues from the IDC were defeated, except for Diane Savino. So yes, we are uh, definitely in favor of David Carlucci reaching out 
reaching over with an olive branch and doing things that get the support of the progressives who voted for Julie Goldberg. It's a lot of votes out there, and it is a definite path to victory. If David Carlucci was to win over some or all of those voters, he would almost certainly clinch a victory despite the block vote, despite you know the Republican turnout. We have an incredible turnout in the primaries. They say it was double, I think it was in triple in some areas, the usual turnout. And so this is a big blue wave that's moving. And David Carlucci should get on the right side of that wave. In my opinion, he should vow to fully fund foundation aid for Ossining and East Ramapo, and for that matter, all of the needy districts all around the state. And he should take a vow that he will not vote for any budget that does not fully fund financial aid. That's my personal opinion, my boozy dream. But, you know, I'm just a school teacher that has seen devastating budget cuts, you know, ever since I've been teaching. I've seen kids suffering. I've seen overcrowded classes, kids without counselors, you know, you name it. We've had terrible education policies and horrible uh, underfunding of schools. That's one thing. What else? Carlucci could get, you know, strong on any number of issues. He could get really strong on climate. He can get really strong on single payer, women's health, uh, the Gender Act, the Dream Act, you know, pretty much all of the things that have been blocked by the Republican majority in a coalition with the IDC. And the IDC is gone, and we are hoping for a Democratic majority. And so if David Carlucci finds himself in a Democratic majority Senate, you know, we hope that he would not be the redheaded stepchild, so to speak, where he doesn't get funding for his district and he doesn't get to uh, to represent Rockland and Ossining in the way that we should be represented. We hope that David Carlucci will go with the flow and that he will become a lot more progressive than he has been. We hope that he says goodbye to corporate PAC money, just like Kirsten Gillibrand did, just like Cory Booker did, just like Elizabeth Warren did, just like House Representatives, Ro Khanna is one, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. There is a wave, folks, and corporate PAC money is, you know, so last year. Just going to preview next week a little bit because we didn't get to it this week. So what we plan to reveal is audio tape that was obtained uh, when... Attorney General candidate Tish James was addressing the NIPAN Executive Committee. She was taking questions from about 40 progressive activists, and some of the audio is pretty interesting. So stay tuned for that next week. As we wrap up here, we are supposed to be hearing more about these ongoing meetings between David Carlucci and progressive groups, grassroots groups. We are also hearing about the teacher union, the NYSET, is going to be meeting with local grassroots progressives and people that want to get a lot more engaged and activist teachers. We love all that. So uh, we'll be updating you. And we want to thank uh, Rockland World Radio for hosting us, as always. We will be back here next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to leave a comment on our website at newyorkupdate.org. That will bring you right to the Facebook page where you can comment on any entry you want or send us a message. We will be posting the archive of this and every other episode on education news Welcome and headlines. to the new sound oh, of Rockland. Rocklandworldradio.com. Exciting online TV and radio. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Welcome, Welcome to the new to sound, sound of Rockland. 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 Rockland.